All right, Exodus 29, we are continuing our march through the worship ordinances of Israel. And just so you know, we're only a couple weeks away from actually finishing that part of it. We'll get back to the narrative portions of Exodus. So I promise you, if this, is, if this part is just killing you, then you haven't got much more to go. So with that said, we have dressed the priests. So they're good to go, right? We give you your uniform and we send you to work first day, correct? No, no. Your first day of work, after they hand you the uniform, what do you want somebody to do? At least tell me what you want me to do. Don't just like turn me loose and be like, all right, figure something out. That's how I get fired really quick. Give me the uniform. Now tell me what you want done. And most importantly, if you have a, a, a picky boss, you don't want them to just tell you what to do. Tell me how you want me to do it. Because that is probably just as important to me not getting fired. Same is true with the priests. The priests have a very important job. We covered this somewhat last week when we talked about the clothing that they've been given. They are there on behalf of God, but they are representing the people. They are the word to God, the word from the people, the word from God to the people. That is what they are supposed to be doing. So think about it like this. How many of you have ever watched cable news? What? Every... You try not to. It's okay. You, don't, you can admit it out loud. I won't yell at you. Every even year for the past 20 years, what have you been told by, your, by the news? This is the most important election of what? Of your lifetime. Until two years from now, when that shall be the most important election of your lifetime. <laughs> well, no. See, that was the most important election of your lifetime. This is the most important election of your lifetime. That will be... We laugh about that, but why are they saying that? Because even as corrupt as media may or may not be, they still recognize that who's in charge of things actually matters. And if you did not learn that lesson over the last year and a half, go look at who's governors of which states and how things are going, depending on how you want to see it. And that's the last I'm going to say about that. Welcome to the priests. They are there to represent the people before God. They are there to carry out the sacrifices of God. They matter. You don't just give them the right clothes and send them in there and hope for the best. That's how we get a lot of people dead. We have to first change who they are. How do we change who they are? Hmm, that's... (laughs) We wish. This is God's work, and that is what is going on in Exodus 29. So rather than uh, read it all because we're going to try to get through 46 verses today, I say we're going to try. Have we ever not? We're going to make it. Last week was 43. I went a little longer than I wanted to. I apologize, so I'm going to speak faster, right? That's what you want, right? <laughs> no, we'll try, to get, we'll try to get this all covered through in a decent amount of time and not lose you. So we'll read it all as we go through. So verse 1, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them to minister as priests to me. This is the first step, and it is a vitally needed step. The priests must be consecrated. They must be set aside and prepared for the worship and service of Yahweh. Leviticus 19 codifies this. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I am the Lord your God and I am holy. Hebrews 7 introduces you to the problem and why we need this work. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Now, side note, you know this one. This is easy. Why did they die? 
think big pie, big Bible picture. You might want to get your answer from someplace like, oh, Romans six-ish. Why did they die? They had sin. The wages of sin is death. Death equals sin. This is one of the reasons why the work at the end of Genesis 3 is so important. What did Adam and Eve cover themselves with? Fig leaves. Why would you? Look, let's be honest. You're in the garden. Ah, I'm naked. Ah, you're naked. We must fix this. Ooh, leaves. What could go wrong, right? Why did they pick leaves, and why was it incumbent upon God to kill an animal on their behalf? They had sinned, but what had sinned before them? No sin, no death. They hadn't watched anything die in that garden before. It never crossed their mind that I'll kill this animal and take its life away. That's not the good creation that God has made. Death comes from sin. This is a necessary understanding. It is God who covers their sin, sparing their lives with the death of the animal. Covers the symbol of their sin, which is the nakedness. We went over this a little bit last week when remember Aaron and the priests get the pants that they need to wear because they're not going to go naked from the underside of their tunic thing into the tabernacle. These priests are all prevented from being the priest and offering the holy sacrifice because they are sinful. Therefore, before they can offer any sacrifice and they can be any kind of priest, they must be cleansed. They must be cleaned by God. This is your distinction between the priests of the Old Testament and the good high priest. Jesus, on the other hand, this is back to Hebrews 7, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Remember what we're going on here. I haven't said this in a while, so let me say this again, because good reminder for me and for you guys. Remember, we have two timelines. So my little, my little finger pointer here is our regular timeline. This is what's going on in Exodus 29. Real people doing real things in real places, right? Now, we have God operating outside of this while they are working and accomplishing. In other words, in, la in the last chapter, they're getting dressed, right? That's this timeline. They are getting dressed. They're getting the turban, and they're getting the tunic, and they're, they're sewing the gems, and they're making the gold. That's right here. They're actually doing that real people. God is utilizing the things that he is commanding, the things that he is ordaining, the things that he is authorizing, and they are pointing not just to what they're doing here, but to what he is doing throughout eternity. Make sense? Same thing going on here with the priests. They will not continue on to make sacrifice for the people, but Christ will. But in the midst of that, God is using the work that he is doing for them to point forward to the work that Christ will perfectly accomplish. Are you confused yet? If so, I can move on. If not, I'll have to keep talking. This is mad. This matters. So they will consecrate them to minister as priests to me. So take one bull, two rams without blemish, unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and you shall make them of fine wheat flour. Rewind time just to be on the safe side. Do you remember what leaven is? You're like, oh, well, it's the stuff that makes the, the, the dough rise. But that's, that's, that's what it is on this timeline. Do you remember what leaven is? No, 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 that's down here. What is it on the big one? It's a representation of sin. Galatians 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. 
It's a lesson. When you make bread, you make a big old lump of bread, right? You put a packet of yeast in there. And I know you don't make it like that. You bloom it in all the whole nine yards. I don't care. <laughs> Sorry. Simple fact of the matter. You're doing well. You're living a good life. But you have this little sin in the corner. It's just going to stay there and mind its business, right? It's just, just going to live in the corner like a little mouse in the corner of your life. And it's not going to bother anything. See, 20,000 square feet of building. Why did we move the candy so that we wouldn't have shrews climbing through the wall? Because those little buggers this big in that closet, you know what they ate in that closet? Everything. They shredded paper. They tore up carpet. They leave droppings. And if they get in there, what are they eventually going to do? They're going to spread, and next thing you know, we're going to be fine. You'll be sitting here on a Sunday morning, and somebody running up your pant like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we, we don't want to be redoing a Ray Stevens album. That Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that at all. They, that was on the map this morning. Pascagoula, Mississippi was on the map because of where the hurricane's coming up. So there's another little reminder for you. Anyway, I thought of that when I saw it. Nobody wants it. So what do we do? We move the candy and we try to get rid of them when they're there. Exactly. What do you do with your sin, Christian? You don't let it fester. You don't let it live. You kill it actively because just it, it's just a little bit of sin. It's just a little precious. Sorry, I won't, I won't do the voice. <laughs> but that's a good example. Always remember that Tolkien was not writing a Christian allegory, but was utilizing a Christian worldview. What was the temptation? Power, authority, might. And what does the desire for all of the world's gifts do to you? It's a picture of what sin does. It destroys that little tiny desire destroys everything about who you are and what you are. That's why all the offerings are unleavened bread. It's a reminder. Because let's be honest. If I put it, it's Thanksgiving. Turkeys on the table, sweet potatoes, whatever it is your family makes. I can either bring you some crackers or those big fluffy croissant rolls from Pillsbury. See, see, which one do you want, honestly? See, what do you think Passover is? It's, it's the big festival holiday. What do you think Tabernacles is? It's a festival holiday. We're going, we're inviting family, we're having a party, we're offering set, we're doing all of this stuff. I want to make something good, something presentable. I don't want to make tortillas. Nothing against tortillas. It's just not what I want on Thanksgiving, not with turkey and that whole bit. It's a reminder that you are setting something aside. You are putting it, tortillas are good. Don't be upset. <laughs> Turkey tamales would be good, but I'm not making turkey tamales. It's Thanksgiving. I want rolls, okay? I want big fat rolls, and I'm not worried about my calories. I'm going to slather them with butter, and I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. Yeah, okay, that's just how this works. Thanksgiving is one of those, the meal is not over when I'm full. The meal is over when I hate myself, okay? You do this at your house. The meal is over when everybody's in the chair going, oh, somebody's got to go put that away. Who wants pie? Ooh! <laughs> See, there you go. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Israel is told to set it aside. Israel is told that this represents something bigger than you. Again, the difference between this timeline and the one that God is pointing to, the things that he is doing. Israel is told that we set this aside just like you are supposed to set sin aside. That is included even in the worship, in the, not the worship, but the consecration of the priests. So 
You shall put them in one basket and present them in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. This would matter as well because you don't get to go into the tabernacle dirty, right? That's what this is all about. That's probably part of it. Like nobody wants a stinky priest. We get that. Like you want him to clean himself, but that would be this timeline. We've got this one as well. John 13. He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, you need to be cleansed. By whom? By God. Before you enter into the work of sacrifice, you need to be set aside. You need to be cleansed of sin, unrighteousness. You need to be purified for the work that is at hand. That starts, believe it or not, with simple symbol. Clean. Why? Because one, we don't want you to smell when you do the offering because we have to stand next to you. But two, because it symbolizes that God is washing you in these sacrifices. And you are reminded in everything that you are doing that God is at work. You shall take the garments put, and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. You shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them. And they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons." an awful lot to go through to go slaughter some animals, isn't it? I mean, what do they get? Never forget this. I'm going to use as much high-minded language for the sacrificial work of the priests as I can because it matters. But at the end of the day, if you really wanted to get down to it, you know what the priests primarily were? Butchers. They were butchers. I mean, this is what you do. You take the lamb, you bring it in, you cut it, you, you, you offer it, you burn this, you don't burn that, you portion this, this goes back for dinner. I mean, they're butchers. You present your lamb, the, the priest kills it, offers it, guts it, cleans it, and gives it back to you. That's a butcher. Go, I mean, there's people in town that do that, go down to Seward, Eikhoffs will do this. I mean, this, at, the, at the end of the day, this... If you have to do this work, I, I do this work every fall when we go to my, my in-laws and we go deer hunting. You know what I don't do to clean a deer? Put on anything nice. Because no matter how good I get at it and how efficient I am at it, you know what I look like when I'm done after about two or three deer? I, I come home and it's like, how, there are, there's blood on my boots and there's blood on my pants. And they're, okay, I know where that went. Where, but there's blood on my sleeves. How does that happen? I don't know, it just is. See, I know this is not pleasant, but if you're the priest, say at Passover in the temple, thousands, thousands of lambs coming through. You know what these guys looked like? There are actual historical reports ankle deep. That's, that's how deep the blood would be because you just can't get it emptied out quick enough. I mean, just waiting around. And he's dressed like this? With the turban and the sash and the gold and the jewels. and It's supposed to be important. You're doing an important work. 
but you're doing a work that's not meant to point to you. So yeah, you look all pretty, but you don't look all pretty so you can stay pretty. You look pretty so that you can actually get something done. Psalm 121, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. You don't get to stand there as the priest going, I'm the priest, look at me. Who else would I be with all this purple and gold and jewels and gems? Covered in blood, I'm the priest. Who else would I be? Offering sacrifice for the sins of the people. It's not me that you look to. It's God. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Sin offering time, Leviticus 1. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. See, before I can offer cleansing for you, I have to have cleansing for me. Welcome to why I tell you, don't follow me when I do something dumb. I need a savior too. You follow after me as I follow after Christ. What was Paul's advice? Follow after me, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. When Paul imitates something other than Christ, what should you do? Yeah, ignore Paul and go follow after Jesus. The priests have the same problem. Before I can go in there to make consecration for you, atonement for your sin, I need somebody to atone for my sin. My filthy hands can't offer up something to cleanse you. I mean, first step in this process would be me. Same problem here. You shall slaughter the bull before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all of the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and offer them up in smoke on the altar. Now, this is fairly specific about what it will cover. No, I have no idea why they put it on the horns. Um, Four different books. None of them have a good answer. There's some theories. I don't care about theories. I've, I've warned you earlier when we went through this with Exodus that we are going to be dogmatic about the things that Exodus is dogmatic about, and we are going to not be dogmatic about the things that Exodus is vague about. Is there a really good reason why verse 12 tells you to put the blood on the horns of the altar? I'm sure there is because God told him to do it. I simply have no idea what it was, therefore I'm not going to you know, die on that hill. I am going to point out, though, that this blood is covering pretty much everything else. And that's important because who is it covering for? Hebrews 9. When every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry with blood. And according to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, if we kill the priest for his sin, would we be just? Yes, that's what he deserves. The wages of sin are death. What's our problem, though? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just lost my sacrifice because I don't have the guy who's offering the sacrifice. I need this guy, therefore, bring forth the bull to cleanse him so that he may enter into the presence of God, so that he may offer 
sacrifice and atonement for us. His work matters. We've got to make him clean. Once again, this is why they are priests, numerous, and not the great high priest. Jesus enters in. Why? Because someone cleansed him? Because he was clean already. Because an offering was made on his behalf? No, because he needed no offering to be made on his behalf. That is why his offering is good and his sacrifice is eternal. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Hmm. So we don't want any of the sin offerings staying inside the camp. We get that in the here and now. I wonder if there's anything like that that it's pointing forward to. Hmm. You know what book I'm going back to, don't you? Where are we going? We're going back to Hebrews. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. It's chapter 13 in Hebrews, by the way. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. See, the sin offering is removed from the people because what are the people supposed to be when the offering is done? They're supposed to be holy. If we burn the sacrifice in their midst, the thing that is representative in bearing their sin is where? In their midst, we are no longer holy. We have sin within our midst. We have left the leaven at our feet. It may be a smoldering pile of ash, but it's still there. Instead, we take it outside the camp. Hence why Christ goes outside the gate to die. It removes the sin, and it's a sacrifice away from the people who are to be holy. That's the first thing we're pointing to. Here's the second thing. Christian, if you wish to follow after Christ, you must do what each and every day? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow after him. Sharing in his reproach. Sharing in his sufferings and his afflictions. This is why Romans 5, um, 1 Peter 1, James 1, Jesus in Luke 6 basically points to the same thing. It's actually, I'm sorry, it's not Luke 6. It's um, Luke 12, 12, 13, 14. Read Luke, it'll do you good. Somewhere in there, somewhere in those middle passages. Tell you the same thing. Bear up under trials. Don't run away from the difficulties of life, but stand firm in Christ. He will strengthen you. He will gird you. You will persevere, not by your strength, but by his strength. Why? Because Christian, what in this world are you supposed to cling to? What else in this world is worth anything? See, this is part of the lesson. The things of this world are working actively to get you to do what? To turn towards Christ or away from Christ? Yeah, turn on the news. They are just actively pushing you towards Jesus, right? <laughs> See, you didn't have to laugh like that. They're trying. They're, they're doing the best they can. See, the reason we, I agree with you. That's why you, they're easy to pick on though. I mean, your government, state, federal, local, regional, they just love for you to ignore them and follow God, right? <laughs> if you don't believe me, move to Canada. I mean, ugh. 
I haven't seen, luckily, luckily I haven't seen too many of those stories, but they're, I'm sure it's not doing much better than it has been. This is the issues. <laughs> this is about the same, right? <laughs> this is uh, hopefully not in jail. That's, that's, where I'm, that's where the last I've heard of it. This is the difference, though, in this world. Is the world is going, no, 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 no. Live for now. Worship something here. Ignore the eternal. Serve the temporal. That's the entirety of sin and its pull upon you. The answer from Hebrews is no. Jesus went outside the camp because sin was removed. The sacrifice is removed. Christian, guess where you're going? Because now that the sacrifice has been good, guess what the camp of this world is? They're good? No. When has sin, when confronted with sin, ever gone, you know what? I've seen the error of my ways, and I'm sorry that I have lived in such a a horrid, low-down, dirty, no-good manner. I shall reform myself and walk in newness. Christian, when have you ever said that when confronted with your sin? Or did you go, no, I didn't. Who do you think you are to talk to me like that? Because the initial reaction of sin is what? It lashes out, snaps at you, bites your ankles, chews on your finger. It's basically an angry chihuahua. See, that word, you understand that. You have seen an angry chihuahua. I have visited many, many houses. If you have a small dog, I'm not upset with you. I'm not mad about you. Just, just know this is the truth. If you have like a giant Rottweiler, I am not concerned at all because I know nine times out of ten, his whole answer is going to be, are you going to rub my belly or not? That's all he cares about. It's, it's the people with Pomeranians and Chihuahuas. Those are the dogs where I'm like, those are, those are the ones you pet like this because I like my fingers and I prefer them attached. I don't think I've ever been bit by a large dog. I've been bit by some little hairless things. Yeah, that's sin. <clears throat> just <clears throat> See, you're laughing because you have Shih Tzu's. And I, yeah, if there's a dog who's going to bite me, it's yours. <laughs> no, it's not going to bite you. It's going to bite me. <laughs> Come to my house. I have 140-pound St. Bernard. You know what he's not doing? He's not biting you. He's going to walk in and be like, the tummy, it's right here. This is where you rub. And if you think I'm kidding, if you scratch his chest when he rolls over, he will actually take his paw and move your hand. He will actually actively move. They're like, no, 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 the tummy is here. And he will sit there when you don't, and he'll actually point with a paw. So yeah, that's, that's, that is the life of a large dog. So yeah, sin is not like that. Sin wants to devour and destroy and eat you every chance that it gets. Your job is to follow after Christ regardless of the consequences that sin attempts to bring upon you so that you will walk in a manner that is pleasing to him because he is the one who has died to cleanse you. He is the one who is sanctifying you. He is the one who is strengthening you and carrying you through. For you to serve something else is to reject that and to walk according to the course of this world. That is not the goal of Christian sanctification. That is not what the Holy Spirit allows. This is one of the reasons why we continually point to and talk about sanctification. Because if you are continually capable of saying, this is the road that Christ has blazed for me that I should follow, here we go! If you are capable of consistently doing that, something is very, very wrong. And the cure usually starts with, you need to repent, call upon the name of Christ, that you will be saved. I'm not saying you can't get lost here and there, but if you are consistently able to forsake Christ, something is terribly wrong in either your understanding of who Christ is or your understanding of what he has done. Either way, the cure is to return to Christ and walk in newness of life. The priesthood is pointing to that. 
the priesthood is demonstrating the salvific work of God through the priests. Not these priests, but the priests. Verse 15. You shall also take the one ram and Aaron and his sons and lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram and shall take its blood and sprinkle it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head. You shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the offering on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. So, that is not the first time that that language has been used in Scripture. You've seen this before in Genesis chapter 8. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma of the Lord. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, if you're not paying attention and you're thinking about how you understand God based on what you know about you, you would say, so God is all angry up in heaven, and then we offer the ram, or in Noah's case, the clean animals, and it smelled good when we burned them. And God went, ooh, barbecue. I'm in a good mood now. See, that's you when you're hungry. That's not how God operates. said this before. We'll, We'll use it again. Big fancy word of the day, anthropomorphic language. Yes, plus tax. You will, you will win Scrabble with anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic is the ascribing of human characteristics to non-human entities. So, I always use Bugs Bunny, so I won't use Bugs Bunny today. Beauty and the Beast. Be our guest, be our guest. You know, like the, the, the what is his name? The lamp dude, the, the, the candles. I'm sorry? Pierre. See, I, I needed a woman who was a teenager in the, in the 80s and 90s to know these things. Lou Pierre, what? Okay. I don't care. He's a candle that talks. Candles don't talk unless they're in cartoons and they're anthropomorphic candles, in which case they now have human characteristics, even though they are non-human entities. See how that works? I just know that the, 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 well, the, the chick who was on Murder, She Wrote was like the, the dresser, right? She was the teapot? Okay. I, yeah, Angela Lansbury. I know who Murder, She Wrote. My grandparents love Murder, She Wrote. I was stuck watching that when I was a kid. It used to annoy me because I'm like, there's no way that's who's guilty. I could never get him. I, I think I got one episode right in 12 years. One. It's terrible. It drives me insane. So no, God is not in heaven going, ah, oh, okay. Oh, I feel better now. They burned the right things. No, this is salvation, propitiation, the turning away of God's wrath in action. And it is done in such a way, not that God, God is turned away because of the specific way that it's done, but so that they can see it. It is done so that they see. Ephesians chapter 5 covers this. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Does that mean Jesus smelled good when he was crucified? No, it means his offering is like the fragrant aroma. It is something that can be seen, something that can be known. When you're the priest and you're burning this, what's going to happen? There will be smoke. 
And I know that the smoke goes up and that God sees the sacrifice and God accepts the sacrifice because it is the sacrifice that he has commanded. And because we have been faithful to perform the sacrifice that he has commanded, his wrath is turned away, our sins are forgiven, and we, his people, are cleansed. The smoke is not for God. The smoke is for us. The offering, the reminder of the seriousness of sin and the need for God to cleanse, for God to to redeem. So it continued. Then you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the lobe of, lobes of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet and sprinkle the rest of the blood around on the altar. Okay. Once again, I have no idea why we are doing the bloody hokey pokey. Okay, which doesn't that sound like a terrible horror movie from the 80s? Can't you, can't you see that movie made in 1984? You thought it was a simple sleepover. But then he was there, and then the chainsaw music in the background. Coming soon to theaters near you, bloody hokey pokey. It's time to put your right foot in. See, there you go. Okay, you're awake, you're paying attention. I've been waiting all week to make that joke. That was there on Monday afternoon as I was making my notes. I have been waiting all week for that, and you did not disappoint, so I appreciate every single one of you. Yes. <laughs> now, there you go. Well, because the left is evil. We already know left-handed people are evil. See, I can say that my mother-in-law is left-handed, and I tell her that every chance I get. <laughs> hey, I'm the complete weirdo. I'm ambidextrous. I can throw, right, bat. I, I can eat. Like, have you ever tried to cut... You want to have some fun? Go try to use a fork and a knife with the opposite hand. I do that. I do that for fun. I, you know, I can switch. <laughs> Daughter's looking at me going, how do you just eat? So yeah, used to do it to my baseball players and warm up right-handed and then catch and take my glove off and throw the ball back to them left-handed. Dude, what? Stop doing that. It's messing me up. It's, it's half the fun of life. So yeah, I joke that left-handed people are evil. What does that make me? I use both. So, so yeah, no idea what this has done, but just a little bit, right? balanced out. It's part of the insanity. We don't know what this is about, but we do know what the next part is about. You shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on his son's garments with him. So he and his garments shall be consecrated before they even get to make the good sacrifice in the tabernacle. They're already covered in blood as well as his sons and his son's garments with him. Now this makes sense though. This makes perfect sense. They are sprinkled before they even do the work because they need to be sprinkled by the sacrifice in order to be cleansed. They need to be, as, let's see, what book would it be? As Revelation would put it, they need to be washed in the blood. It's almost like there's a song like that or something. You know, we should, should, (laughs) you're sitting there going, (laughs) sorry, I can't hum and you'll be all right. They are marked. They are washed. Once again, something being pointed to. Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further words be spoken to them. That's here, by the way. That was before Moses went up the mountain. That's what was going on. And Israel was like, you know, Moses... You go talk to him. We're going to stay down here where it's safe. 
For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See, a lot of allusion there, isn't it? See, what do you mean speaks better than the blood of Abel? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God didn't need Cain to admit it. God already knew what had happened. Well, as good as that testimony was, Christ's blood speaks even better. As much as the priests are covered here, how much more are you covered by the work of Christ? The good, perfect, holy sacrifice. The eternal sacrifice. The, the ram is not doing what tomorrow? He's not doing anything tomorrow. He's dead. We killed him. Uh, we, we, we killed Jesus too. But what did he do? Why? See, this is, this is where understanding the totality of your scripture makes sense. Why? But why? He is sinless. He does not deserve this death because what death comes from sin. See, Christ doesn't die for his sins. He dies for, yeah, yours, mine, and all who will trust and believe in him. That's why his life is not taken from him. He cries out with a loud voice and then gives up his spirit. Always remember, you die in crucifixion by suffocating. Suffocation slash drowning, depending how you look at it. Because you, you eventually can't pick yourself up anymore, so the lungs and the diaphragm compress, the lungs flow up, fill up with fluid, and you die. So if you are still strong enough to stand up and cry out, you know what you're not close to? You're not close to death. So he cries out, and then he dies. His life wasn't taken. He gave it. It was a sacrifice acceptable to God. And the blood of Christ covers all who believe and trust in him. Not some, all. And it covers them eternally because his sacrifice is eternal because he himself is eternal. No beginning and no end. This matters. Understanding what these sacrifices point to is more important even than understanding what these sacrifices are because these are meant to be for Israel then. They're meant to teach Israel. Because look, if you're a priest, let's be honest. You guys, some of you were making faces at me talking about having blood on me from like two or three deer. A lamb every morning. A lamb every evening. Burnt offerings throughout the day. You know what that priest looks like walking through camp? <laughs> every single day. Not some of them. All of them. Every day, if you're camped near that tabernacle, you know what you're hearing? Eh. Eh. It didn't make another noise. Why not? You know why not? Not some days. All the days. Every morning. Every evening. Sprinkling the blood. Reading the, the commandments. Sprinkling some more blood. The smoke goes up. Every time that smoke goes up, you know what just happened? Same thing every single day. At some point, if you're a priest, you know, I mean, I know you get used to stuff, but you know what you also do after a long enough time? 
You get tired of the stuff you get used to. You're a priest every day. You gotta go kill another lamb. You gotta offer another ram. Go get another bull. We're gonna make another burnt offering. We're gonna do And these people keep doing what? <laughs> every single day. And I keep doing what? And I'm never clean. And I'm never right. Literally, I'm never clean because I'm covered in what? Which is a reminder that Figuratively and spiritually, I am never clean. Christian, we have the better and good sacrifice. In Christ, you are clean. Your garments are made white in the blood of the Lamb. You're not trying to scrub it out because there's nothing to remove. These sacrifices can't take away sin. Christ's can you are no longer under condemnation in Christ. You are free. You are cleansed. You are whole. It is the better thing. It is the righteous and holy thing. It matters. Verse 22. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is the ram of ordination. And one cake of bread and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord. It is an offering by fire before the Lord. Finally, all the stuff we've done. Now what can the priest finally do? Now he can make an offering. Can you imagine this? I've got to go through all of this, and now I can finally make an offering. See, that should tell you something as a priest. If it takes all of this work, you know, the bloody hokey pokey and the whole nine yards, just to make me clean, when you have picked me as priest, <sighs> what's it going to take for the rest of these people? Psalm 51, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, all of those things are reminders pointing us to that. Because we can keep offering animal after animal after animal. If all it is is just another dead lamb, then what has it accomplished? Nothing. Just, just another guy that the Romans killed on a cross, right? There were thousands of them. The Romans were really good at killing people. That's all it is. That unfortunately, that's all it is. But by God's grace and mercy, the Holy Spirit intervenes. It is meant to point not to a lamb, but to a savior that doesn't just change what I look like. He changes who I am. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, recognizing what that sacrifice is for. He was good. I'm the rotten one. Therefore, I'm now strengthened. I'm now empowered. I've been given a Holy Spirit of God, so that I can recognize what that sacrifice is and what it means to me moving forward. To understand that and then to walk any way 
is to reject it. To understand that endeavor to stay on the path is to accept it and live for Christ. This is the difference. I'm not talking about perfection. Christ is perfect. You're only perfect in eternity. I'm talking about the attitude of your heart, the desires of your mind, and the things that you are willing to go after in this world. This is one of the reasons I said this many times last year. COVID was a blessing to the church. Some of you, this doesn't make any sense to. There were numerous stretches before about March of 2020 when there'd be 60, 70 people in here on a Sunday morning. COVID hit. You know where a lot of them did? They went away and they never came back. And we called them and they said, we're not coming back. Why? Because they're not coming back to anything. Because they got scared and they got worried. And they weren't going to be around anybody. And this didn't mean that much. And that's been the case for a lot of churches. For a lot of churches. And the great revealer, though, has been a great comfort because you're here. Because this means something. Because you want to grow in wisdom, grace, and knowledge. You want to grow in love of God. And you want to worship and you want to serve. And you want to be better tomorrow than you were today. And better today than you were yesterday. It's been a blessing on the church. Is it a hard one? Yes. Is it difficult? Absolutely. We persevere through the trials of this world because our focus is not on the things of this world, but on the things that are in Christ, the things that are to come. That's the walk that we are to undertake. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's empowering us to do it. And to do anything else would be to forsake the good gifts that God has given and to look for something else. May it never be for his people. Let's continue. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. You shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering, which was waved and which was offered from the ram of ordination, from the one which was for Aaron and from the one which is for his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as their portion forever from from the sons of Israel. For it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the sons of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, even their heave offering to the Lord. Um, Heave offering, big weird way of saying, think Lion King. So, um, what's the... Simba! Simba! Simba was heaved before the people. I threatened to do that at a baby dedication one time. I I thought I'd get fired, so I didn't do it. One dad actually wanted me to do it, he, but I told him it wasn't worth it. So, yeah, that, a heave offering is an offering that is lifted up. That's what a wave, basically all wave offerings are heave offerings because in order to be waved, you have to be picked up and then waved. So some are wave offerings, some are just heave offerings. They are lifted up and then they are placed back down. So that's your definitions there. Different thing here. Something else more important, believe it or not, going on. If you are a Levite, You are Aaron's descendants. Where are your fields? In Israel, where do you keep your flocks? Yeah, you get a little bit of ground outside the cities for the Levites, but other than that, what's your inheritance in the land? You don't have one. Your inheritance is Yahweh. Here's Yahweh fulfilling that promise. The Israelites who are called to be faithful are called to bring their animals for offering. When you offer up, a portion of those animals is what? For you, you get to eat. Part of, your, part of you doing this sacrificial work every day is that every day there's an animal coming in that you get to do what? Eat. 
This is your portion. This is the provision of God. This is him providing for his priests and giving them what they need to survive. This is part of that. In the midst of their sacrificial work, God provides for his people. Philippians 4. Paul understood this lesson. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's not something Paul just, you know, pulled out of a hat. Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for that which, just, which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercy shown to David, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you, knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. In other words, what did you do to get the provision from God? Nothing. Come, buy without money. So you spend all your time trying to accumulate what? Bread that doesn't feed, wine that doesn't quench, all the things of the world that accomplish what? Nothing. When you should be doing what? Going to God, who doesn't charge and who gives freely. Why does he not charge? Because it's already been paid. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put on them Put them on when he enters the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram, and the bread is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Thus they shall eat those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. If any of the flesh of ordination or any of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because... It is holy. Literally, the priests are partaking of the sacrifice. They are literally eating that which has been offered up to God. I wonder if there's any New Testament corollaries to such an unusual idea. What do you think? (laughs) Anybody want to guess where? Who's, Who's feeling spunky? Come on, come on. Okay. Jesus answered and said to them, John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He's talking about the feeding of the multitude. Where he asks, he goes, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Well, why don't you give them something to eat? We, we got some fish and some, some loaves here. What do we do? We just keep dividing out the food and dividing out the food and dividing out the food. And everybody ate. You know who recognized that? The crowd. Because they looked and went, yeah. And see, if you're a good, faithful Israelite at this time, who do you want gone more than anybody else? Romans. We want Romans out of here. What's our big problem going to battle against Rome? We can't supply that army. Look at this guy. 
We don't need supplies. He's just like, we need rations for the army. All right, line them up. Here's your rations. We can keep handing out food. We can't lose. And if they kill our army, what can he do? No. What did he do? He goes through. There's a funeral. Look, when you show up to the funeral, you know what? Somebody's dead. Now, are we sure? We, we got a casket. We're having a... Prof- I mean, we're not guessing. Like, well, you know, I mean, this isn't a Monty Python sketch. Bring out your dead. I'm not dead yet. Funk. Yeah. That's not how funerals go. When you go to the funeral, you know someone has died. Jesus walks into the midst of the funeral procession and goes, he's not dead yet. Get up. And the kid gets out of the casket and goes home. See, if you're an Israelite, he makes food, which means we don't have to worry about provision lines. We don't have to worry about supply runs. And if the Romans kill us, he can just tell us, nah, <laughs> it's like a cheat code on a video game. You can't kill me. You can't, like, see, you, if you didn't grow up playing games like this, that was the first thing you always figured out on a two-person game was whether or not you could shoot your teammate. Because some games you can, and it's annoying, and then the ones you can't are really fun because then your teammate does something you don't like, and, you just, and then you're mad because you can't kill him. Yeah, see, that's Jesus. Jesus makes the game where you can't kill your own teammates, and they can't kill your own teammates. He's the perfect king. Why do you think they want to make him king? He can lead us into battle. If we die, he just makes us undead. Not in the zombie way, but you know, bad 80s horror films again. And if we run out of food because we got too far away from home, he just makes more. In other words, it was all about them. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Carry it forward to the end of the chapter. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. And he who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, who, so he who eats of me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. This is why the priests are partaking of the sacrifice. It's a, provision of, it's a provision from God. It's an understanding that the sacrifice is not just some animal that we killed. That animal was killed for me. It is me, and I am it. Welcome to Christ's sacrifice. This is why sanctification matters. Sanctification is not you just, I'm going to be good enough so God's happy today. God's already pleased. He's already happy. Why? Because Christ has accomplished all things. God is pleased in Christ. My goal in sanctification is not to make God happy with me, but for me to be as much like Christ as possible. I want to be Christ. And I want Christ to be me. I want to be one with the Father as he is one with the Father. I want to be one with the sacrifice as he is the sacrifice. I wish to be less of me in my brokenness and more of him in his holiness. That is what sanctification is about. It's not, I did a good job today. Dagnabbit, you know what I just did? I just messed it all up because who did I make it about? Welcome to my lovely idolatry. I did a good job. No, I didn't. 
I need to go kick my butt some more. Because I made it about me when it's about Christ. I want less of me and more of him. I want his words coming out of my mouth. I want his thoughts rolling around in my head. I want his desires steering how I live and what I seek after each and every single day. That's what sanctification is about. That's what the Holy Spirit is spurring you to. That's what this is pointing towards, is you are one with the sacrifice because that sacrifice, you live because it died. You Christians stand before God because he Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You shall ordain them through seven days. Each day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. You shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Excuse me. Then the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. You didn't miss that punchline, did you? We're going to sprinkle the altar. We're going to sprinkle the priest. We're going to kill a bull. We're going to kill two rams. And we're going to do it again tomorrow. And then we're going to kill the bull. And we're going to sprinkle the altar. And we're going to kill the ram. And we're going to sprinkle the altar. And we're going to sprinkle the priest. And then we're going to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you're Aaron and his sons, you know what you're sick of by about Thursday? Stop sprinkling and rubbing meat with blood. And that's good. You should be sick of it. Why are we doing it? Because of sin. We're doing this so that we can be clean, so that we can cleanse the people. If you have to do this every single day to cleanse me, you know what I want gone? Yes, see, I want that sin gone. I don't want to do this anymore. Christian, this is where we are so much better off. We don't have to. Christ has died. He has given the sacrifice. He has been raised. You have been raised with him to newness of life. You've been granted the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do this anymore. You can walk in the newness of life. You can put sin to death, and you, you can proclaim his excellencies until he comes. And you will, if you understand what sin is and what it costs to cleanse you from it. That's again why I say, if you can consistently say, this is the pathway, here we go! Something is terribly wrong because you do not understand the price has been, that has been paid and you do not understand the cost that has been incurred. This is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. There shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hin wine of a, for a drink offering with one lamb. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Now again, we've covered this a bunch of times. Are those lambs going to cleanse Israel of their sin? No, they can't. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs can never take away sins, but Christ can. We know that. Notice what they point to, though. You ready? All right. I told you to be on the lookout for repeated things, right? I mentioned that last week. So let's see how good you're paying attention. I'm going to read the rest of this. I want you to tell me the repeated word. You ready? It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak to you there. I will meet you there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to ministers as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. 
What was it? What got hammered in those passages? I. Who's I? God. Those lambs won't cleanse you. Who will? God will. I will cleanse. I will consecrate. I will dwell. I will bless. All of these from God. They are pointing to the same place. They are pointing to the better thing. Philippians chapter 3. Good life verse. Here you go. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish so that I may, that I may gain Christ, that I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul wanted. Christian, that should be what you want. Because the great punchline of this is right here. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I, the Lord, I am the Lord their God. They'll know. That he redeemed them. That's what bringing them out of Egypt is, is that he has redeemed them so that he would be amongst them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. Christian, what you waiting for? I'm serious. What are you looking for? God has redeemed you. Where are you going? I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, another fancy word for dwelling. The dwelling of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. See, what God is delivering is a picture of what he is ultimately going to deliver. The work for Israel is the work for God's people. Christian, by the mercies of Christ, the sacrifice for sins, you are part of God's people. He dwells amongst you as you look in a mirror darkly now and the Holy Spirit spurs you and encourages you and he trains you and he strengthens you. But there's coming a day when you will see and know clearly because you will see as one sees face to face. And God will be amongst his people. Amen. Because the sacrifice is good and it covers his people. So where these things are shadows, Christ is a blinding light. Christian, that's what we get. We get a blinding light. Walk in it. Because it drives away the darkness. It drives away sin. And it strengthens his people. Because it is good because it comes from God. There is no better thing. And that's the mercy that we have to remember each day. Because again, look at this week. How many of you would like the news to slow down for five minutes? It's like, we got something blowing up over there. We got a hurricane coming up over here. Time out. I need like a day. Can I just have a day? You know what the answer to that is? No. You're not getting one. You're not getting any of them. But you know what you are getting? Strength. Mercy and grace to persevere, and those are better. Because they strengthen you to understand who God is, what he is doing, and how he is doing it. I don't need the news to stop. I need the Holy Spirit to keep going 
because that is why I can understand, that is why I can stand, and why I can persevere. Let's pray.